Network Automation Nerds Podcast. Hello, and welcome to Network Automation Nerds Podcast, a podcast about network automation, network engineering, Python, and a whole lot of technology topics. I'm your host, Eric Cho. Today on the show, we'll be talking to Julio Perez. Um, so Julio recently completed a six-part blog post on building network CI/CD pipeline. I really enjoyed reading them. I thought they really kicked butt, and I certainly learned a lot from those those blog posts and a lot of inspiration from Julio. So I'm super excited to have uh, Julio on the show today. I know we'll have a great time chatting. So let's uh, let's dive right in. Hi, Julio. How are you? I'm good, Eric. Thank you. First of all, thank you so much for having me. I, I really appreciate it. This is this is huge. You know, any, when I'm doing something like this, I feel like I'm in the in the room with some giants. So really, I really do appreciate it. So and thank you and hello to the community. <laughs> no giants here. I'm I'm five nine. So purely like <laughs> I, I think I, if you take the average American, it's like I'm right down the middle. So um, you know, thank thanks for the kind words. You've always been very active on social media, uh, active in s- sharing your thoughts and being encouraging, rather supportive. So uh, so I should be the one thanking you for being on the show. No, awesome. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. And that's just my way of giving back to the community. So the community's already given me so much. So even this little six-part blog series is just just a little bit of giving back. That's that it's not a little bit, man. Six parts. <laughs> and if you look, they're they're like mini series, right? So like part three, that's like fifteen hundred words, which which is typically like half of a chapter, right? So if you combine all of them, it's actually like, you know, three chapters of a, a regular book size, probably. You'd be surprised. the The first three parts, I think, are written in like one day. Oh, really? I, wow! I think uh, my wife and I were heading to a vacation in Mexico, and you know, we yeah. had a, we always packed the night before, and I was, you know, banging away at the keys, trying to get as many parts <laughs> as, as humanly possible because where we were going, I was not going to have any network connection, so I really wanted to get as many as I could out. So yeah, the first three parts, if you notice their publication date, it's the same yeah. day for all all three of them. Yeah, I did notice that it's it's um October twentieth, and so yeah. we're just like bam, bam, bam. It's like okay, that's awesome. No, it's like yeah. when you're facing. I guess when you're facing like a deadline, it's like when you just be really productive. Yeah, it, it was a self-imposed deadline because <laughs> I could have probably just put the first part, but I didn't want to leave people hanging for a couple weeks, and maybe they installed Docker and then they were just lost, and then they had nowhere to go from there. So I didn't want to leave anyone hanging. Right. You're, you're like, your, your years will be really like itchy. It's like, darn that Julio. He, he let yeah. me on and he just yeah. took off. <laughs> no, but it's cool. Yeah. No, I, I, I did notice the first three parts were on the same date and you went uh, all the way to containers. Um, and then, uh, on the fourth part, well, you know, we'll get into it. So sure. before we get into all the CICD goodness, um, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? How did you get into technology? How did you get into networking? Yeah, well, you know, Julio Perez. I'm from the Pacific Northwest, uh, the same same as you, I believe. Yep. Uh, my start in networking was, uh, I don't know if it was normal or not normal, but uh, when I was young, I was that, out of all the kids, I was assigned to fix the electronics. You know, the internet wasn't working. You know, I was the one troubleshooting, uh, you know, hooking up the VCR, just something, just, just anything uh, that kind of had to do with tech, not necessarily computers. We didn't really have computers in the house um, at all. Yeah, uh, Right. But uh, believe it or not, yeah, in high school, I was actually in, in school to 
sort of go into architecture. I was taking like computer aided drafting and design. So it was nothing to do with tech. You know, we didn't have like a computer science courses or anything like that. Right. Uh, yeah, that was. And then shortly after my parents kind of asked, you know, after that phase of like, you know, what do you want to do with your future? And I kind of sort of haphazardly kind of just mentioned, oh, I think the Air Force would be pretty cool. And <laughs> and sort of that, I don't know if I sort of planted that that seed in my mind, but I just kept looking into it. And and I was always in, in a tech, you know, here and there, you know, gaming and whatnot. But sure, uh, I started looking into it and just looking at different branches. And I noticed that the Air Force had a lot of, um, you know, IT centric roles that sort of mm-hmm. I was I thought I would be interested in, or I could sort of make a career out of it. Right. Um, yeah. I did, did the recruiter thing. And then eventually, you know, went into the military as uh, believe it or not, there's a thing called open electrical, which means okay. you, you could be assigned to pretty much any role that they deem sort of in the electrical category. But the role I wanted to get was something called cyber transport systems, which yeah. is sort of network tech, network support, routing and switching a uh, specific role. And, and there's a bunch of other roles. Um, but then, uh, in uh, basically training, eventually, uh, there's a day where you you know you walk into a room, you get your paperwork, and I opened yeah. the letter and it said cyber transport, and I was like, oh my oh, gosh, wow. I, I got what I you know it it could have been totally different, you know maybe I wouldn't have written that blog series if I did, if I didn't get chosen to to have that role, but yeah, after that it just kind of kicked off from there. You know, after basic, you kind of go to your technical school where they kind of teach you sort of ccna level topics and mm-hmm. um, a, a little bit of military specific things sprinkled in and then you you know get assigned to your base and from there it was uh either doing base communications which is something like supporting a campus network you can kind of make the connections there as far as hardware and configuring switches and, and trouble tickets kind of like daily support mm-hmm. um yeah did that for six years loved it loved the military traveled a lot uh, which is great and you know I can pause there if, if you want to sort of interject or I can keep going. <laughs> oh, no, no. I mean, no, no, it's cool, right? So it's mentioned, you mentioned the, um, that kind of changed the trajectory of your career. Like the, the fact that you got into, I don't know, I, I want to call it space networking, right? So <laughs> yeah, so they, they, always, they always give you an action title and, and my action title was cyber transport systems. That was nice. Uh, my role, uh, but yeah, you know, eventually that, that must come to an end. So I did that for six years and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, eventually making that transition from a military career to a civilian career. I, I was fortunate that I got hired on by an awesome employer um, to, to kind of make that transition. At the time, mm-hmm. they were actually hiring junior network engineers. So when I was mm-hmm. researching, what fields could I go into? Where did my skills translate? Uh, right. A lot of sort of what network engineering or, you know, network admins kind of do kind of align to what I was doing in the military. So I figured this is great. I should go for this. Uh, eventually yeah. I got hired. Um, mm-hmm. Specifically, that was an amazing role for me to land in as a junior engineer, just because, you know, I had a chance and chances to fail, to learn, uh, to grow into a position like that. Yeah. So yeah, that was, that was kind of been my journey to kind of getting into network engineering. Right. Did you did you go the certification route or was it uh, something that you just kind of didn't really care about? Uh, while I was in or in the military or after? Uh, well, I guess either or both, right? So it yeah, sounded think- like military was less relevant as far as the certification because you're just dealing with electronics. But uh, you tell me. Yeah, I think I didn't get started. So when I got the role as a civilian, I was kind of more relying on um, the work I had done, my previous experience, I think I had security plus, I didn't have any 
Cisco certifications or, right. or anything like that. It's just when I got uh, that position, they were sort of very, being a junior engineer, they kind of expected, you know, to learn and, and study and whatnot. And they were sure. very supportive of me going down sort of the certification track. You know, I told them, hey, mm-hmm. the CCNA looks really interesting. I would love to go for that. And, you know, I had a lot of support there to do, make that happen, uh, whether it's, you know, time or financially um, with that company, which is which is amazing. And then took it a step further to go the CCMP route. And then again, right. It's just kind of, it just kind of clicked, right. That the certification, the learning, it just, the labbing, it just kind of took over. So that was, that was a good like year or two of, of kind of in that, that phase of certifications. And then, yeah. Yeah. Shortly after the automation kind of walks in the door. So I'll, <laughs> I'll leave it at that. I'll leave it at that. Nice. <laughs> nice. So how, so that, that's great. Right. So you mentioned, NP and eventually I think you're you're branching out to different fields and um, is that where you discover automation so how did how did that happen for you yeah great question we actually had a senior engineer I think in 2017 a senior network engineer he presented ansible to us uh, believe it or not yeah 2017 he just kind of showed us a basic inventory file and I think at the moment it was just doing a simple connection and, and maybe you know, like a hello world of Ansible, essentially. Yeah. But, but to yeah. me, uh, coming from CLI, manual, copy paste, on the keys, seeing that happen, I was kind of blown away. I was like, wow, that was really cool. And <laughs> it just kind of kicked off from there of, you know, researching Ansible. What does it do? How to make it work? What can we automate? And then sort of our um, our team wanted to automate kind of as much as we, we could to an extent, right? Things that would help right. the business. Uh, it was a a sportswear retailer. Yep. So initially it was, it was mainly, can we automate our, our branch sites, you know, our builds, you know, we had sort of a process to build a branch location. It was fairly slow, right. a lot of error, a lot of touch points. Yeah. I think they kind of saw that I was picking it up relatively quickly and they kind of assigned me like, Hey, can you try to automate some of these pieces? And I just, I, I kind of went all in. I, you know, wanted to automate switching access points, configurations to like radius, you know, authentication servers, yeah. just, Every, you know, we use Netbox or inventory management, you know, even automating when someone builds a site, making sure it gets documented, like just the whole gambit of that piece. It just kind of, it kind of took over for me mentally, just going down that route. So you started with Ansible. And by the way, I think that's a very logical place to to start automation because for remote sites, that is uh, because it's self-contained and it's, it has a clear um, I guess connection point back into the mm-hmm. mothership, right? So everything beyond that, you could just automate, and I think that's where we started automation initially. As some of our, some of my previous employers is just, mm-hmm. uh, we did a lot of like fulfillment centers and uh, like uh, yeah. warehouses, you know. Yeah, because there's pieces to the environment that are fairly static; they don't really change yeah, much. But as far as sure. branch sites, you're sort of you know building branch sites or closing branch sites, kind of at a at a frequent. Uh, clip so you that was right. something that was very it was very obvious that we could automate that process um and, and, right. and going through ansible it kind of teaches you even though it's not going in depth with programming languages you still get you know like variable assignments for loops yep. Uh, yep. You, you know you start building those connection points using ansible which i enjoyed um I, i'm still a fan of ansible um yeah to this day so are you calling it a domain specific language <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I would say so. I, I know there's there's a lot of discussion, argument, yeah. you know, what yeah. have you, just about probably Ansible and maybe using DSLs. Sure. I, I think that 
it, it is it is really really good as a starting point for sure. And, and it obviously yeah. in, in you know server administration or server engineers, I mean that's bread and butter. Uh, that's incredible. That's incredible. I think for network automation, they try to do a lot to sort of simplify the process. Right. Um, but I think sometimes you kind of do, I think I've, I've heard for uh, called uh, like gymnastics. You're kind of doing gymnastics with Ansible and it kind of makes it a little, uh, a little, a little funky. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, the reason I brought it up is um, I think all of us in the community sees it as a DSL, like domain specific language because it got mm-hmm. variables, it got loops and it got its own thing, right? Like you have to use in order to make it happy. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are engineers within Ansible, like they don't think that's the case, uh, which have strong feelings stir up on social media, and uh, we won't go into that. But <laughs> yeah, and I'm more of a proponent if it if it works for you, if it works for the team, like that's incredible. Right. Like, right, go take off and do that. Right, but it sounded like you used Ansible to begin with, but eventually. You know, did you move on to something else and still use Ansible for um, maybe some no, tasks? No, for, for that role, it was it was mainly Ansible. Just yeah, it was really any small use case we could find after sort of automating the branch deployments. It could be gathering data. It could be doing network backups. That was great. Yeah, so we you know we had Ansible Tower. Uh, yeah, our engineers are kind of using that for their deployments, kind of automating that those pieces. Yeah, it, it was still heavily used. I sort of started delving into Python more for sort of the flexibility, the power, the libraries that are, that are built for it. Yeah. So any, any, you know, from then on any task that really requires some kind of automation, I would sort of choose just, Oh, I want to, I want to use Python. Cause I kind of wanted to get, I wanted to improve. I wanted to get better. And so right. having those real world scenarios to, to sort of use it kind of yeah helped it click a little bit more. I got a long way to go. I still got a long way to go uh, in Python for sure. But, um, it's just kind of that whole like getting better, a little bit better every day. That's the kind of approach I'm taking with it. <laughs> yeah. So I think you know. Um, so I talked to I talked to some of the uh, people in Python community a lot. So Michael Kennedy in particular. So he actually puts in a very good analogy about how Python is very unique in the way that it's easy to get started, but there's like the ceiling is super high, right? It's not like toy language. It's like you can actually go very very far. And for me, you know after i don't know six seven years i still haven't found that ceiling it's just it's yeah. just you could just go really far whereas some of the other languages especially for something that is um domain specific then you hit that ceiling really really fast right so if you imagine like i don't know code.org right like you could you could get up to speed really quick because it's made for kids but you can hit that ceiling really quick like you know if you want to make an actual app you can't make it with code.org whereas you know, Python, easy to get started, easy to move forward. Uh, what do you What do you think about that? Yeah, it, it kind of brings up a discussion of like how much, you know, how much Python, if we're just talking about Python, like how much Python should sure. engineers know? I've kind of seen that sure. brought up. Sure. Um, I, I, think, I think you can do a lot with Python, mm-hmm. even knowing sort of like the foundational pieces, which I think make it really exciting for our career field. Um, right. That's kind of why I got excited about using it. And it's just like the, the power is just incredible. Right. Yeah. So you don't, you don't have to be like core contributor to make use of it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. No, even having a strong foundation, just, you know, the, the basics, I think you can go far, especially with good documentation and, and exploring tools. I think you can really build really cool things with even minimal, you know, minimal interaction with the the language. 
Yeah, even if you don't use it, right? It's always. I mean, you could tell I'm biased. Uh, so take it with a grain of salt, right? But, um, but definitely, even even if you're not using the full, you know, hundred percent capability, like it's good to know that there's no limit. Uh, there's no upper limit, right? You're yeah. you're you're only limited by your own ambition and your time and energy to spend on it. Definitely, it's. I I think I kind of saw things like that in the pipeline, which kind of made me sort of hold the reins back on what to include, right? To yeah, I, I didn't want like I think I mentioned like when there's too much sauce in 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 what's going on, folks kind of just goes over their head, and I really wanted to avoid that, even for myself, just to keep everything kind of in order, right? Keep keep myself sane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. No, but I don't know, man. You you include. I don't know, probably six or seven different pieces in your CI/CD pipeline, right? So I think this time is just as good as any to just dive into uh, what you have on the on the blog post. I, you know, I, I know we're on the podcast platform, but if you're on the YouTube video, you'll see I'm pulling up Julio's, and I'll we'll include show notes uh, links for you know show notes for all of these. But you know, in the, you, I'll pull it up, and basically what Julio has is he has you know some sort of code base. It's being checked into GitHub, so that's one, right? And it uses some sort of uh, local persistent server. So in this case, it was Ngrok uh, for GitHub to get a callback on. It has some drone server. That's three components already. Um, and then he has he, he uses Batfish for pre-checking, and then uh, does you know actual deployment uses Nornir slash Napalm, and then use Suzy Q for post-checking. So that's actually you know four or five or six different. Uh, nice large components associated to it, and what I really enjoy, Julio, about what you said right in the beginning, is and then just throughout the the you know the six part series is you mentioned you did not know a lot about many of these components, but you're happy to learn, and I think that joy of learning just kind of jumped out from uh, from your blog post. Yeah, I, I think when I initially wrote this down. I think I was just in a, on a notebook or something and writing yeah. down the possible technologies. I mean, like unit testing, I mean, unit testing is not even a part of it or, <laughs> right. but, but, um, Do I hear part seven? <laughs> no, no, no. So it, it was interesting. Like I, the, the pipeline kind of came about just because one, it was sort of a challenge to myself. Uh, like right. we had automation in my previous role and using tower, but it wasn't kind of what you would think as a CI CD pipeline. And right. I heard about it a lot. I've seen demonstrations and I got to a point where I, I figured, can I make something like this work? You know, can I make it happen? Right. And and what right. technologies could be involved or, you know, what are the major players or not even major players, but what are, what are some great tools out there that I could incorporate into this? Right. And sort of, sort of what you see is just, things in, in that research phase or, or discovery, I just kind of thought, you know, oh, this tool is, looks really great. Let me, let me try, let me try to use it. And, and it's something I hadn't used before. I made the example of like drone, you know, but beforehand I had never used drone for anything. Uh, you know, we had used right. uh, Azure DevOps in my previous role and, and some other tools, but never drones. So it was kind of like one, I can learn and then mm -hmm. I could show people how to make it work essentially, almost kind of like a how-to guide essentially. Sure. I mean, if you kind of follow the post, you can kind of do it that way. Uh, yep. But also maybe any roadblocks I run into, maybe I can help the next person not run into the same roadblocks and they could do it that much faster or that much better. 
Um, mm-hmm. That kind of excited me to make it happen. And that's right. you know, why the three blog posts came out in one day. I was really, I really wanted to get this information out for everyone. Just, you know, use it, enjoy it, build your own, make it better, whatever you want to do with it. And yeah. Any piece in there. Um, and we can go into each individual piece, but any piece in there for, uh, for the most part could really be substituted with anything that you're someone out there is comfortable with. You know, if you're not using GitHub, that's fine. You know, you could use your own yeah. thing. If you're not using drone, using a different tool for that, great. Um, you, you don't have to use Batfish. You can use your own, you know, you can build your own test, that kind of thing. So I, any, any piece in there really could, um, folks can kind of pick and choose, use it all, whatever. Um, for me, it was yeah. a discovery phase, but also sort of, you know, can I learn this? Can I show people what I kind of experience in the process? Yeah, so I, I think that's um, that's awesome that you you said that because um, I, I think what's lacking for a lot of people is just this lack of confidence that you could overcome difficulties, right? So they will yeah. look at it and say, oh, these are new new pieces and I don't really know these. So I want to go back to what I think it's safe. Maybe the CLI, maybe something the, the vendor sells you that like you know this is scoped and there's something you could uh, point to versus all these open source projects. It's like, you don't, nobody has your back 100%. You know, you guys should rely on on your own initiative to get through that, and that's what you did as well. I, I did try to, I tried to, I tried to keep it as simple as humanly possible. I, I mm-hmm. try to do my absolute best because I've I've been a part of trying to get something to work or standing something up, and either the documentation is just either not there or it just right for some reason just something's not working, and I the roadblocks folks can run into, it could make you stop, you know, right then and there, you just kind of kind of lose hope in the tooling or maybe your idea. So I, I really tried to push through if I did hit anything and it was pretty minimal if I hit any, right. any, any obstacles. Right. Um, but yeah, it's just, I, I want to show individuals that, you know, you can, something can be totally new, but you know, just a little bit of perseverance and just, you know, making sure you read maybe good documentation, right. You'll, mm-hmm. you can push through and, and you can really build um, really fascinating things. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I, I think that's the uh, that's a, a theme I think with throughout your your writing and especially in this six blog post. It's like you're not you're not afraid to show like the hundreds of times that you've tried, right? <laughs> and um, so that that's I think that's valid, and people uh, could really use that. It's just like okay, mm-hmm. so you see the final product, but that's like day hundred, right? And that's the yeah, same I thing with I, me. I think that's yeah, what John ahead. John. Uh, John Capobianco called uh, that's the magic of TV. I, I think that's what he said in the previous part. <laughs> it, it, it's the magic of television or something. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to show folks that there, there is no magic. There's a lot of failure uh, <laughs> when learning these tools, at, you know, whether on user error or maybe error on you know, something else. But um, yeah, we all run into errors. It's, it's totally fine. Yeah. So it's, it's like you said, right? Like you either, you either, solve that problem or you make a serious enough dent so that the next guy or maybe that next guy is you two weeks from today or a month mm-hmm. from today uh, you could pick it up and um, you at least you know this route didn't work um, and that that's actually what I try to do as well with all of the content I create is just you know make a serious effort and even if it doesn't work you know this route you know doesn't work so you share it out and then as a team, all of us could benefit from it, and you know, maybe, uh, maybe the next guy will be able to solve this for all of us. Yeah, I think I think there's a a thought of 
you know, trying to contribute and trying to trying to better the community or uplift all of us, you know, whether that's with your writing and your books or or my simple, you know, blog posts, adding that to the community, you know, just imagine the wrinkle effect of how much better we will all be um, with either just showing individuals how to make it work or an example. Uh, it, it could push us that much more into sort of this this new phase of of you know network operations or network development or you know CI/CD pipelines or you know the, the next individual guy gal they might make they're going to make something way more efficient way faster way better and that that's incredible I want to see that I want to see yeah. where the pitfalls you know what I could have improved that that's that would be incredible to me you know I want someone to make something better than this yeah for sure for sure so if you were to um, kind of describe. So I'm I'm gonna pull up that page for our you know oh, if you're yeah, this, watching our YouTube yeah. right. So if you were to describe like an overall five thousand feet you know view of your CI/CD pipeline, what 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 are the components that you include in that? Sure, um, I'll just mention that pretty much everything from Ngrok, uh, the drone servers, runners, Batfish, all of that, all the way up to Suzy Q. That is actually all just running off of a, a fairly basic uh, Ubuntu VM. Sure. Um, so just just one machine. It's 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 got some storage and a little bit of CPU and RAM, but nothing nothing crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So GitHub, uh, just it's a pop- popular place to store your code. I was already using it, uh, so that just kind of made that decision fairly easy to me uh, to incorporate mm-hmm. GitHub. Yeah. Uh, Ngrok. Um, I think you were wondering kind of like the use case for Ngrok. So like, let's say um, sure. You know, I'm I'm a developer, I'm a network engineer, I'm behind some kind of, you know, NAT, some basic home internet. Um, and I don't have an easy way to sort of expose like a URL, a public URL out yeah. to a service, right? So that's kind of where NGROC comes in. You sort of stand it up. Uh, then your your machine or, or your terminal will essentially stand up a, a kind of secure connection to their service, mm-hmm. which will then sort of advertise a public URL that something could hit and then it'll just be forwarded to your local machine. Uh, yeah. In this case, I needed it to for the drone server, which is local yeah. to uh, you know my setup. Um, the drone is just the CI tool I chose to use. It kind of um, you know receives web hooks from your your GitHub whenever you make changes to your code. Um, sure. Drone then essentially works with the runners to sort of run the the jobs or the pipeline runs. Um, yep, and then Batfish again for pre-check validation. And we can go much deeper into this. You know, this is very high level, but then sure, yeah, just Batfish the high level pre-checks, uh, pre-check validation. So essentially. Um, if we want to make a change or if we want to validate our configurations, uh, Batfish does a really good job of doing that all offline. Uh, and it's very quick. It being offline, it's, it's essentially just analyzing text and then building a model to sort of then you could ask questions uh, against Batfish, the Batfish service. And, um, you know, you can test all kinds of things like any errors, duplicate router IDs or inconsistencies with routing protocols. Um, right. Nornier Napalm, that's kind of like a, a natural choice for me. Uh, again, a lot of these could be plugged in with something else. Like maybe you're a really big fan of Scraply. Just you could use Scraply at, at that phase. You could use mm-hmm. Ansible uh, in that phase as well. And then Suzy Q. Suzy Q was kind of, I think, the newest sort of name that I've heard about. Yeah. Uh, it might be the newest overall, just as far as all these technologies mentioned. Uh, right. That one was really fun just because uh, s- sort of network engineering kind of old school, we would kind of, you know, log into each device, run a bunch of show commands, check if the change we made was valid. Uh, I like Suzy Q because it's it's effective at doing post-check validations, but it also, even if you're not running it within a pipeline, it's a really yeah. cool tool just to kind of check your, your network and kind of see 
what's going on? Are there any inconsistencies on your network? So yeah, really, really cool tools to work with, to be honest. Um, I really enjoyed working with them all. Um, but yeah, if you have any, any questions kind of in deep dives, I would more than happy to answer. Yeah, for sure. So, so I think the, um, so I'm just going to paraphrase. Uh, so your the CI CD pipeline. So CI stands for continuous integration and CD uh, stands for continuous deployment, right? Which right off the bat, we should probably separate the two. <laughs> continuous integration is just one thing. You don't need to have deployment associated with continuous integration. And I think what, as most network engineers, we probably start with just the integration part, right? So whatever you have on your local machine, your code base, uh, your continuous integration goal is to push those onto the production. So to have um, whatever running after testing that it's valid, that's run in your production network, right? Mm. Yeah, so so then, um, so if I were to walk through the different components um, and their goals, is your your GitHub is actually where it's a centralized code repository for you to store your code base. Um, and so let's just start with that. So if I were to, uh, so what's the goal of Git and GitHub? Sure. So there's a lot of players in this space. So there's there's Git, sort of the technology, sure. and there's GitHub, which is essentially a, a service, right, that actually can store yeah. all these repositories. But uh, high level, it, it's it's a place where you can store your code and collaborate with others so you can sort of get tracking and version history of any changes that have been done to your code base or your application. Um, using something like GitHub, it's it's really easy to track changes over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, folks can sort of contribute to your code. You can yep. sort of do pull, you know, manage pull requests and, and things of that nature. So it's it's very powerful. And even what I show in the blog is is very limited to what GitHub can do. It was just a, a, a small subset um, of what's involved in that process. But yeah, essentially, right. yeah, network engineer or network operator out there could have his code base. Um, they can modify their code locally and they could push it up to their, you know, the remote branch on GitHub um, right. and sort of update that, which then, you know, in the next phase, it would be, there's a sort of a, an app listening, right. For changes uh, in that repository. Right. Right. So Git is the technology for uh, synchronizing and collaborating your local code with remote code, but GitHub is a service that's you know actually uh, the remote code to store for you, and it's it's related, closely related to Git, but it's not Git, right? So there's you know other Git-based services or another code repository, but it doesn't have to be GitHub. So cool. So now you push that code to GitHub, and because GitHub is a service that they actually, um, like you said, they watches for that code change. So when that code change happens. Uh, what would they do in your uh, CI pipeline? Sure. So let's say um, you have a your your main code base and it's got a um, a main branch, right? That's like the right the initial initial branch. But um, you want to make a change, you'd most likely make a uh, like a test branch or a branch to to add some kind of feature. In, in my case, in the in the post, I said you know we're going to add descriptions to interfaces, right? So you might make a branch right. that's called add interface description. From mm-hmm. there, you make your changes. You'll push that up to GitHub. Yep. So now that that branch exists uh, in the GitHub service, yeah, which it's essentially instructed to send a webhook to the ngrok URL. Okay. Uh, which is where the the drone server is essentially listening to. Right. 
because the drone, you essentially, when you, when you instantiate drone, you connect it to your GitHub account and it's sort of, you activate, they call it activating repositories, essentially what repository should I be listening to or should I be watching? Right. Mm-hmm. So once it sees that change uh, drone, we, we sort of define what they call, um, they call it a drone.yaml file. Every, every tool has an example of, of these files, whether it's a, a Travis CI or GitLab, but essentially you define the steps you want to perform when a change, when you know, a change is seen in that repo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these, mind you, mind you, I'm, I'm simplifying because these files can get fairly complex. Uh, sure. I try to keep it fairly vanilla. So when it sees a branch uh, change come in, it will stand up a, a runner or they call it a drone runner. Um, in this right. case, I, I made a, a, a Docker container myself that kind of includes any of the, and we'll get into that in a sec. Sorry. I'm kind of, you know, folks might get lost there, but um, <laughs> kind, of okay. in, in, kind of includes any of the requirements necessary to kind of speed up the, uh, the runners. But uh, sure. when that happens, um, the drone.yaml files essentially defines what steps should be performed on a branch. So if it's not main, mm-hmm. you know, I should probably do the pre-checks. Let me check the files. Are they actually um, legitimate files? Uh, right. Will there be any errors? So that's sort of the, the initial process. It won't actually make any changes because sort of in our file, we've defined that only, you know, changes are only made in the main branch, uh, mm-hmm. which is our, in our case, would be our production, uh, our production state. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got so that's it. all, the, that's what happens when it's just a, a development branch, right? Um, if let's say you were, you probably wouldn't, oh, you could make changes directly on main, but you know, maybe you'd have some security where, you know, you can't make changes to main, but if you were sure. uh, making a change to main or doing a pull request, which is essentially, we're going to add that branch into our, our, our main, right. We're sort of, you know, upstream, right. Yeah. Then the changes, um, the changes that are performed are a bit different. Everything that was done in dev is executed again, but in this case, we are actually going to deploy the changes. So that's kind of where Nornir and Napalm come in. Uh, and then after a change is done, we'll actually do post check validation since we've actually made a change for the dev branch. There is no um, um, post checks, right? Um, yeah. So let's let's dive right into um, that Ngrok role. So essentially, when GitHub, you know, um, notice the change and it needs to notify somebody that mm-hmm. you know, because this is just continuous and it should be automated, it needs to notify somebody uh, that to go do your thing, basically, right? Right. right. But because or notify like, hey, a change has been made. You you probably need to know about it, right? <laughs> right. Right. So. So that is what you mentioned about a callback. So GitHub calls that a callback, a webhook. Uh, well, they call it a webhook, and then that hook destination is a callback to to say, you know, something changed, just a notification. And because your drone server is a private uh, IP address that cannot be reached by the public GitHub, that you need exactly. some kind of public endpoint for it to talk to. So this could be like if you if you have a drone server that's has a you know public IP or probably a DNS map to it, then you wouldn't need ngrok. Correct, correct. Uh, yeah, maybe a, a much more advanced production instance. Yeah, you would have the resources to kind of enable that. You wouldn't yeah. need the ngrok service. But um, I was a little bit of this was for the individual like me at home, labbing in mind. Yeah, so for, for sure. Sort of how can I simplify the process? And I can't even take credit for the uh, ngrok piece. Actually, that came from the uh, drone. Um, uh, drone IO documentation. They actually right. mentioned like, hey, you know, if you're using GitHub, you need a public URL to hit, um, you know, 
you can stand at the NGROC service. And there's other services like NGROC, um, but mm-hmm. it was very, very easy to set up. I mean, <laughs> incredibly easy. I, I, I it's it's amazing. You essentially uh, you know you, you download their their image, you unzip it, you run it, and boom, you have a public URL. I mean, it's it's so fast. Um, yeah, yeah. Something else I should mention. Yeah, you, know, you did say that all these tools, you know, for the most part, they're all open source. Uh, they're all free. So right, there's there's very little. I wanted to sort of make it. Uh, what do they say? A low barrier of entry for anyone, sure. right? I mean, sure. You know, besides you know maybe setting up an Ubuntu VM or running it off your machine. You know, every, you know, all the Docker containers, all these, all, every piece is free, which is really awesome for folks that want to yeah. get going. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I, I like Ankrok and I actually use it in production, like not yep. in a production, like uh, that would impact customer kind of way, mm-hmm. but it just quickly spins up, like you said, a public URL so we could reach. So sometimes I need to like reboot a, um, I need to reboot like a, a, a smart switch basically, right? Then uh, I would just do it at Angrock, and then so now I have a public URL for a somebody else's, yeah. uh, you know, private network, so on. But yeah, um, yeah so Angrock actually, yeah, go ahead. The thing folks should uh, look out for, and I and I did mention it in the blog, uh, the blog post. But when you uh, activate Angrock, it, it sort of randomizes the URL. So if right. you were to run this this build, and if you were to stop it and rerun it, you're actually generating a new URL. So be mindful if you're sort of creating that OAuth application in GitHub, you're going to need to update that URL, right? Um, yeah. Like you know, Eric mentioned, he might use it in a production uh, instance. There's also, and I'm, you know, don't have to pay for the service to, to run this is totally free, but there's also like, you know, paid versions where you can sort of reserve a, a domain, uh, you know, it can yeah. be, you know, eric, you know, dot ngrok.io or, or something like that. But yeah, yeah. You don't have to go that route at all. So yeah. For sure, for sure. So that's your freemium. So the the free portion is, I think, I don't know if you changed it, but it's like two concurrent sessions uh, for your for your account, and then uh, the dynamic URL that doesn't doesn't uh, that gets changed every single time. Right. Um, yeah. So so you're in Grok, and it was it was simple to spin up. It provides a public endpoint. So uh, GitHub notify notice the change, and then uh, actually notify drone server that something has has happened. And you mentioned the drone server actually reads a configuration file in order to determine uh, how many runners to spin and what what kind of stuff they should do, right? Yeah, there is, yeah, even, even selecting drone, honestly, I think I saw a presentation from Hank Preston, I think mm-hmm. from 2018, and it was actually a CICD presentation it just so mm-hmm. happens in that presentation, I believe he was using drone, but it was drone from okay. like 2018, but I still figured, oh, well, let me check it out. I mean, Hank's using it. Let me just <laughs> see what it's all about and let me read some. Yeah, we don't trust Hank. <laughs> right. <laughs> but to to their credit, the documentation was incredible. Just standing it up was very simple. I, you know, I try to use, I definitely try to use tools that are simple to get going, but standing up drone was very easy to get going. Their documentation for how to install their runners. It was all Docker based. So I should get into that actually. Docker okay. wasn't even a part of the initial sort of my, you know, written down design of how this would work. You know, I had never touched Docker, never even came close to making my own, you know, Docker container, anything like that. Right. But when I started researching a lot of these tools, like all of them had a sort of a an option to use Docker to sort of get going quickly with the, with their service or their their platform. Right. So I figured 
almost every single piece I'm using has uh, a Docker variant. I I should really yep. take a look at this. I, I should really. It is. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, e- even getting Docker installed was was non-trivial. I included uh, instructions that I got from DigitalOcean, which they had a great write-up. Yep. Um, so once you, once you get that going, it's just a matter of um, using the instructions of, of that tool and sort of you might have to substitute some variables, but you can get going relatively quickly. Um, so, so I get, I get drone up and in, in the runners and you're right. So it, they receive a change. Um, the server then sort of stands up a runner uh, since it's all Docker based, even the, it's almost like Docker within Docker. It's, it's pretty insane. What's probably going on behind, <laughs> behind the scenes. Uh, Cause the, the, the drone runners, a Docker container, when you, when it's running the pipeline, it's actually standing up Docker containers, uh, depending on what images you select, that could be like a generic Python image, or it could be the one I uploaded to Docker Hub if, if folks want to use it, which is, that would be pretty cool. Um, yeah. I'm not doing much maintenance on that. That was, it was almost like a, a POC there, right? But I, I still use it when I'm executing this pipeline. Um, but yeah, it, it was very awesome because it's very clean, right? It stands up this container, runs your pipelines, it's destroying it after, um, you know, it leaves nothing to clean up. I, I did enjoy that, especially during testing. Um, I was sort of testing so much that it, it kind of made sense. And I think even in, in drones documentation, they kind of recommend that that you, you use the Docker runners. They have a couple other versions. Um, I didn't dive into their other versions, but yeah, the Docker runner was more than enough for me. Right, right. So, so for folks who are not familiar with containers, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what they are and what they're uh, kind of in a simplified form. Yeah. So like, I guess we would have, um, traditionally you might have something like uh, ESXi and you might be standing up VMs and sort of there's right. like a hypervisor. And then um, these VMs, they get assigned uh, OSs and, and, you know, storage and CPU. Whereas uh, Docker is almost like a little bit more of an abstraction from there. Right. They, right. All your containers essentially share the, the, what I call the, the, the base OS, right. Or the main OS and sort of only what's, what's needed for your application is included in the container. This kind of makes the containers very efficient. You know, their startup time is incredibly fast. Um, Right. Probably more stems from, you know, obviously having unused CPU cycles when you're sort of standing things up in the traditional sense of a VM, which is a, uh, a Docker containers or running multiple of them in, in one VM, they can kind of more efficiently use those processes. Um, but yeah, it's, it's almost like a, another layer of extraction from a, from a VM standpoint. Right. But it's, it's packaging your, your app just, just for what it needs. Uh, the benefit there being is kind of the whole, like, you know, it worked on my machine type thing. I don't know what's going on with your machine. Uh, yeah. Whereas in Docker, it's, it's, um, it's almost, it's incredibly safe to share what you've built. Um, and it'll essentially, it'll, it, it, you know, it'll just work, right? But um, that's really kind of um, the goal there. It's it's really, really fantastic. And my journey about just working with it was really fun. Um, right, sure right. More to come on that front. Yeah, you know, um, I, th- I think it, it's, <clears throat> it's safe to share because it destroys everything afterwards, right? Like, so as you mentioned, Docker is like little VMs that you just spin up. I mean, there's some catch to it. So it's not full virtualization where you're able to, install like windows on uh ubuntu servers so mm-hmm. your little docker you know uh images and runners are you know uh subsets of your base os but the benefit is you spin it up so fast and you're able to uh, separate 
you know, one runner from the other or the mother from the child or children mm. uh, processes, then uh, you spin it up really fast and do a good separation. Once you're done, you just, you know, wipe it clean. And then, uh, and then, you know, you don't get into a, uh, a race condition or any kind of uh, messiness because you have to keep state. Right. State is just right, gone. Right. <laughs> right. Just gone. You assume every single Docker container is built from, from the ground up and fresh, which is a lot of uh, things to get trip over, um, essentially, because you're actually thinking about uh, if you're coming from like an OS world like me, then uh, when you go into a Docker world, you're you're not thinking about like the base level, like install requirements, and then mm. you got you you got to specify Python version first, right? Like you you did this in your in your blog, I think mm -hmm. it was either the second or the third. You start specifying like you know Python version, install requirements, you know, uh, copy code here to this folder, and so on and so forth. Yeah, it, it was um again going back to I thought. The, the time to execute the pipelines when I was sort yeah. of using a generic Python um, Docker image, it, it took a lot of time because I had to install a, a fair amount of dependencies. Right. That kind of led, led, led me down the road of like, wow, could I, you know, create my own image? Like, what would that include? And I just, you know, just as anyone did my research and, and looked up some instructions and mine was very simple, right? I could base my Docker image off of one that was already created. Uh, in my case, that was a, a Python 3 slim variant, which keeps the Docker image fairly small. Right. Uh, once I got that running, it was just if I could see an example where they were sort of copying, you know, a requirements uh, file over to the Docker container, building the container, it installed those requirements, and it was all sort of encapsulated in this one image. It, it, it was kind of cool at the end to sort of see it run so fast on yeah. the prefix. It, it was really, it was... It was that aha moment for me. I was like, wow, <laughs> like, this is the power. Like, that is incredible. Um, you were you were sold. <laughs> yeah, I, I was definitely sold, definitely sold. Um, but yeah, it was really cool technology. And uh, yeah, I should mention the drone in the drone.yaml file and it's executing these steps. Right. You could define multiple steps. I believe every step actually is executing on its own Docker container. So there, I, every step, if you will, is isolated. So mm -hmm. let's say in step, um, you know, in this step, if I were to install uh, some, um, you know, Python library, and then I had a second step right after it, and I tried to use it, I, I don't believe they would necessarily. Actually, I th believe they're isolated, so you have to be careful with your requirements, um, right? Uh, when building something like this, um, right? Anyway, so I just threw it in there just are... in case uh, someone might run into that issue, but yeah, <laughs> right. You, you're you're. Um... Uh, hedging your bets and say, hey, you know, uh, there's there's the warning, right? Fair, fair yeah. warning, right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so I, I think, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Catch up. No, 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 no. Please go ahead. And I tried to any any place in the series where I kind of felt like maybe I wasn't explaining something uh, as efficiently as I could or as as in a simple manner. I did I do try to point individuals to the actual documentation um, mm -hmm. uh, for these different toolings, just just in case. Maybe that would be beneficial. Just hey, go straight to the source, right? <laughs> right, right. No, so no, definitely. So there, um, and you you illustrate it in your diagram, right? So there, there's certain tasks that are done parallel, like in in different Docker containers. But there's certainly tasks that you have to do serially, right? Like you want to do your pre-check, and then you want to do your deployment, and then you want to do your uh, post-check. But right. there's some some stuff that uh, could be done uh, parallelly, like you know maybe. 
uh, coding style check, like you like you listed, you're using black code style and so on. Um, and then, you know, of course, the other piece was the speed where you eventually made your own image, which you documented in all of your steps on uh, in, initially how long it took and how mm-hmm. many steps it took. And then once you made your own image where you just pull it out from somewhere, again, it's an iterative process. You pull it out from your Docker hub and then that image was you know, stored over there and made it so much faster because it was pre-built. Yeah, definitely. I think that that was out of all the steps, I think that was one of the biggest, if not the biggest, like performance gain for the whole pipeline. Yeah. And, and I think I want to also mention like all of these technology like drones or Angrag or GitHub or uh, Docker, they're all reusable, right? These are very uh, transferable knowledge. So it's not like mm-hmm. you just learn all of these and it's only applies to your CI pipeline. It's these are this could be used for your entire career, basically. And if something new comes out, then you just kind of swap that with that. Like, you know, yeah, maybe you uh, want something to use simple Kubernetes. like uh... Yeah, something simple like let's say maybe you're you're you know small company enterprise whatever maybe you want to use a, a netbox or not a bot or some tool like that you know they have it they have a docker image they have steps to stand that up so right learning right. something like this is definitely beneficial for uh, things not even included um uh, in this pipeline right like something like a source of truth or some kind of inventory management system um, yeah yeah for sure yeah so like essentially if you have your source repository you know somewhere else then uh you know, all you just have to swap that out, but you still could use Angra. You could use a drone. You could use the runners. You could use Docker containers, definitely, and all of that. Definitely. And so, I didn't want to build this for people to say like, "This is the oh, I should make it just like this." Like, no way. Everything is interchangeable. Whatever right. you're comfortable with, you know, use that. That's great. Right, but but Julio actually had worked it out. So like, if you pick all the pieces that he wor- he used, then chances are you have a very high chance of success rate. Versus, you know, if you just go out and research on yourself, uh, your own, yeah. then you might, you yeah. know, hit some walls. Yeah, All right, cool. Definitely. So now we're on the second part of your diagram, right? So now we have the drones run, drone runners, and now we're ready to do what? Like pre-check? Yeah. So one of the first steps, uh, you mentioned it was a uh, uh, black code formatting. That's actually um, just done straight on the runner. Um, okay. That's very sort of, that was almost like a nicety to, get folks thinking of sort of a, a code style and, and what's possible. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Black is just a, a really popular tool to sort of, um, I believe it runs on the PEP8 standard and mm-hmm. um, it, it's very hardcore on, on its, its styling rules. So sort of if you're writing Python and, and, and ha- if it should reformat it or not, um, <laughs> it's either a yes or no, right? There's no, yeah. there's no argument, right? So if your team says right. we're going to use um, Black as our style, you know, that's it. That there's, there's no, there's no decisions to be made after that, right? We're just, right. so the check is just, um, uh, again, researching like, oh, can I do a black check? And it, and it actually call a, a failure on a pipeline run because before it was just saying, hey, all your code is great or hey, two files would be changed, but it's still passed, right? So right. Uh, black has a really simple uh, dash dash check option. I believe it's, it's what it is. And it'll actually trigger a, a, a failure on the pipeline. Um, I'm guessing it. it just registers a, a bad exit code. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that step. Then it was, um, Batfish. So, okay. Batfish was really cool. Okay. My, I believe I saw something with, uh, uh Rick Donato or, or someone either on YouTube or, or, or writing about Batfish. And initially this is what I thought. 
I just thought it analyzed security policies or, or ACLs or that that's all I thought that it actually did just, you know, just being naive or not researching it myself. Sure. But I, I sort of saw it come up a lot and they had a lot of documentation or in blog posts just around, you know, that pre-check validations, uh, how they work with, with Batfish. And, and again, just figured, well, let me look into it. And lo and behold, there's a, there's a, there's Docker steps to get the service running. Right. Uh, it's very, very simple to get started. Um, after that, yeah, using, so, so, I should I should step back a little. The, the pipeline is great and it's sure. created, but usually when I'm testing these things, it's it's usually from my machine because I'm trying to iterate very very quickly um, mm-hmm. versus like you know, keep restarting a pipeline or 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 keep rechecking in code to wait for the pipeline. I'm usually doing some type of local development on my laptop where I can just talk to the Batfish service directly and sort of get that quick quick feedback loop. Um, but right. Batfish has a lot of and this is probably just to show you my um, lack of experience, even with Python, right? With, there's this concept of like unit testing and, and, and test-driven development. But that's a phase in my career where I still have a lot, you know, I still have a long way to go. Uh, but leveraging something like Batfish where they've, uh, you know, they use, they don't connect to devices. It essentially uses a snapshot, a snapshot being just a, a folder of configuration files. That's all it is, right? Yeah, yeah. When you, when you write a Python script to interact with Batfish, it's essentially sending... Uh, it all stays local, right? There's no connections outbound or anything like that. It essentially sends these this, these configurations to the Batfish service. Once it has that service, when mm-hmm. you use your your Python script, you're essentially just querying the service to get these answers. So it's relatively quick. It's all offline. There's no connections to devices. I thought that was really great for this this whole pre-check concept of not making changes to the network. At this point, we're not even connecting to the network. I thought that was really cool. Right. Um, right. 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 But it, when it when it builds this model. You could ask all kinds of questions, and even what I've what I've included is is just a taste. It, that just shows you, like you mentioned with Python, there's just this there's a whole another level, right? Even if you just get started, there's there's the ceiling is just non-existent, right? I, what I included is just like a, a tiny taste of even what Batfish can do. Um, eventually, right. I found they had this um these function called uh, assertion help uh, assertion helpers, I believe they're called. I, I can't recall. I wrote the blog post. I already forgot. <laughs> but, but well, that's, the, that's the even assertion, more reason to go read the blog post. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the assertion, uh, assertion uh, helpers, uh, if you will, they're essentially checks that their team has already written that will just analyze a lot of that data for you. Uh, so you definitely could go out and build this yourself or try, you know, that would be a monumental effort versus taking advantage of an uh, open source tool and, and being able to leverage that really quickly. Um, yeah. And like uh, Eric's showing here, you, you could check for duplicate router IDs and in, incompatible BGP sessions, OSPF sessions. Um, and it's really extensive. Like the OSPF checks, it might just say it's doing an OSPF check, you know, but it's probably checking network types, MTU mismatches. Uh, are they on the same network, right? Like all the standard checks for OSPF neighbor relationships. Like it's doing all of that in just one function call versus, you know, myself, you know, log into device, get MTU, compare with neighbor, you know, is it matching right. something like that? Right. Right. You can totally do that. But I really wanted to leverage these tools and just see um, the benefit, the benefit I could get out of them and just kind of show individuals that with not very much. And I mean, even in the test script, there's really not that many lines. I mean, it might be like 40 lines of code. Like it's, it's very powerful. Um, all mm-hmm. the checks that are already being performed. I thought that was really cool. I thought yeah. that was really cool. Yeah, so I think I think you you touched on the two important features of Batfish. One is 
there's no uh they they there's no querying the device, right? Like just they're just the, the models are built from static configuration files. And then mm -hmm. there's a bunch the second important point was uh, once you built that, there's a bunch of questions like the um uh assertion assertion helpers that mm -hmm. uh you you alluded to that they already pre-build these checks. Like, you know, if you have duplicated IP address, if you have uh, BGP sessions that are not uh, not complete uh, or mm -hmm. like incompatible yeah. or something like exactly. that, exactly. so that you could you could uh, do a stateless check on your um, on your functions. And I'm gonna go ahead and also uh, put in a um, uh, put in a, a link in the show notes on this blog post published by. Rotul and Dinesh, so the founders yep. of Batfish and and yep. um, uh, Susie Q on why the decision that choices I made. I think I actually got the link from your blog post. Uh, or, yeah, it, it or, should it yeah. should be in there. Um, yeah. I got the chance to to speak to both of them. You know, Eric nice. mentioned you know kind of that that fear of um, diving into open source and, and going through this process. I, I was really surprised and excited that the. the Folks that are building this, right? They're putting a lot of time and effort in this one, you know, to help the community and, and sort right. of make us better as a whole. They right. are more than happy to to answer questions, to offer assistance. Um, I think there's sort of a joy in them to to sort of what they have built to see individuals use it. And, and mm -hmm. I found that really cool that they even you know reached out to me just if I had any questions or um, if they could provide any clarity if maybe I was running into issues. So. Um, I'm, I'm sure they would echo that, that they're totally open to answering any questions you might have, like very helpful individuals for sure. Yeah. Well, you know, um, little teaser is I'll have both of them on, on the show uh, at different <laughs> point in time in the future. Um, yeah. So I, I didn't know that. It's <laughs> a <laughs> so good advertisement and swear to God, we didn't talk about this beforehand, but, but yeah, you know, actually, um, uh, Ratul, like Batfish is actually just down the down the not right right down the street but they're in downtown seattle right so right. <laughs> um so they're fairly close and uh dinesh you know uh, i should talk to him before as well so so cool you know like i'm sure they're very happy with the new publicity but uh two really cool individuals for sure so something something i should go yeah. into that i of didn't course. go into very deeply in the post only because there, there was this balance of you know, what to include like what is too much uh, something like infrastructure as code that could have probably been its own blog post, if not multiple blog posts. I mean, so much For so sure. that um, um, I actually uh, linked a fellow network engineer. I think he has like a, a three to five part blog series just on infrastructure as code. Mm -hmm. um, so this, this basically this comes from when I was thinking about working with Batfish. There's this whole concept of, well, you have to provide it the snapshot. Well, the snapshot mm -hmm. could either be the config file that's just, you know, the raw text file. It, it either you had a backup script and it collected these, uh, your configurations or your running configs and, and you can sort of feed that into Batfish. Yeah. There's another concept of using something like, um, you know, YAML files or, or some type of way to define your infrastructure and then sort of use maybe like a Jinja template to build right. that running configuration. And then you could then feed that into Batfish. I, I didn't go too deep into that because there was uh, maybe the the whole three blog posts in a day thing but that's a big concept <laughs> that that folks should definitely uh, look into and especially if you're going to sort of you know more and more production or bigger scale right you're going to need some some type of way um to kind of define your infrastructure versus just um maybe just raw text files kind of like i did as far as my 
showing you how it works. Yeah, no, I mean, there's a real challenge, right? So because Batfish, I mean, if you're looking at multiple uh, device configuration files, then you have to put them together into your own model. But mm -hmm. for a cloud provider, for example, for AWS, which builds all of their infrastructure from cloud formation, or maybe there's a, a some sort of Terraform tie-in that could build yeah. your whole infrastructure, there's, there's no configuration to read from. You just have this configuration file or... Um, you know, build template basically. Right, so, right, right. you know, if you have those two, then I do believe Batfish actually supports that today. Uh, to do, I, I, you know, I believe, I believe they do as well. I believe they do as well. Um, yeah. So, so cool. You, you have your Batfish does, you know, you, you checked and every, you know, no duplicate IDs, no, you know, your OSPF yeah. exposure, then, then you're trying to push that out. Right. So what do you use to push that uh, configuration out? Yeah, let, let me mention one thing. So yeah, Batfish sure. does its best to sort of validate the configuration file as something, uh, you know, can I read this file? Can I sort of build a model from this? Mm -hmm. But I noticed you can sort of have dummy data in there and it would it would still go through the Batfish checks and, and perform all that just fine. Uh, in the blog, I actually included sort of a, a totally fake configuration within a, a router's config. Um, yeah. And then something new with the, the tools in the next phase with Nornier Napalm, Napalm actually has a, a Napalm configure uh, task, which you can sort of, but you can do a dry run. Essentially, it, it won't, you know, it, it'll sort of, hey, is this going to be legitimate? Um, mm -hmm. But it'll just do a check. It won't actually sort of like an Ansible uh, dry check or dry, dry run, I think Ansible calls it. You know, it won't yeah. actually make checks. But in this case, when doing that, it'll actually error out if the config file is not valid, which I thought was a really simple, quick step to add uh, with little to no work. I mean, you saw I added some parser arguments and it's either I do dry run, no dry run um, mm -hmm. to do the pre-check. Um, yeah, but I should talk about Nornier Napalm a bit more is um, when working with network devices in Python, uh, Nornier is almost, I mean, to me, right, I'm just, I'm just the user here. It just sure. seems like a natural uh, option uh, to choose, right? It's it's, it's a Python uh, framework uh, yep. for for networking. You know, probably you know Linux machines as well. But uh, essentially, it deals with a lot of um, kind of what Ansible deals with, right? Like the host file, um, host variables, group variables. Uh, it does a nice job of of keeping that in one package, but it's also very extensible, right? There's uh, a lot of plugins, whether you're using no, uh, Napalm or, or Scrapply, uh, you know, pick your flavor, uh, whichever whichever tool you like. But you can sort of plug those into Nornier um, and, and build pretty um, pretty sophisticated uh, scripts. But not again, not too much code. Like again, mm -hmm. even this script to actually do the deploy, it's it's very small. Um, it's doing a few imports that are fairly standard imports in Nornier. You can kind of see examples in their documentation, right? And um, yeah, it's it's great. It's fast. Uh, it's easy to work with. Uh, initially, I'll be honest. When I a uh, while back, when I first got into into Nornier, there's kind of a uh, you know, there's functions all over the place. You're doing a lot of imports. <laughs> you're like, oh my gosh, that's like I'm already lost in the sauce. I don't know what's going on. Right. Um, right. But yeah, as you make your scripts a lot more advanced, yeah, you, you're most likely going to have more imports, more more jobs running. Um, uh, again, this one, it's it's a very limited imports. Um, very simple inventory. Um, but yeah, the decision there again, yeah, it was not too hard because I was only dealing with four nodes. Yeah. Probably not a big deal. What, what I chose, right. I could have done something like a, a 
scrappy uh, script that would have been totally yeah. fine. Sure. Or, uh, I, I think I alluded, you could have had Ansible do this step if you wanted. Uh, yeah. Maybe it would still be using the Napalm modules, but yeah. Um, if you have any questions, please yeah, send them my way, but um, really cool tool. <laughs> yeah, no, I, th- I think I, I will echo that sentiment about initially Nornir was more geared toward uh, people who are familiar with coding. So, you mm-hmm. know, you, you, they, they give you the classes, they give you the, the examples, but, uh, but later on, like Nornir as is right now, is actually be, being broken down pretty modular. So you could pick, you know, different drivers, uh, like how you talk to the device and you could pick mm-hmm. your drivers that way. And they also take a, um, as you alluded to, they're, uh, a, no pun intended, right? They a play from, a playbook out of uh, Ansible where they specify all your group variables, host variables into a YAML format. And then mm-hmm. just by default, they make sensible decisions on which files to pull it from. Um, so that I think that was part four of your, of your blog post where you listed out exactly on the files that you put your uh, inventory file, which is because they're in YAML format, it's a little bit m- better uh, as far as readability and for people who are right. you know like us network engineers reading a file versus like a developer reading code right it's kind of like if you make this a uh yeah a, J- a json file right it's it's not too much yeah. different but even that little difference could it might throw someone off right i wasn't too sure right but yeah keeping it in yaml it does make it extremely readable um at least it's easy on the eyes, I, I would say, for sure. <laughs> All right, cool. So you got your your runners. Uh, you did your black you know, coding check validation. Uh, there was a pre-check with Batfish. Now you're pushing things. You're, 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 everything's good. Now you're able to push things out with Nornir. And now the devices uh, change. I assume you know, the changes are made, but we don't assume, right? We're in the automated CI line. So what are we used right. for, for checking? For validate the the post change, yeah. for for this instance, I went with Suzy Q uh, mm-hmm. again. Yeah, totally new to me. Uh, just kind of a project by Dinesh Dutt and, and others. Right. Um, I don't think this was included in Hank's uh, CI pipeline originally, right? Um, I I don't believe so. Uh, okay. You mean from like 2018? Yeah, yeah. Because no, Suzy no. Q is actually kind of new. Yeah, I think it's it's super new. I think it might have started in 2020. I think. Uh, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, again, right. There's a, there's a way to stand it up with Docker. Um, some things that I just kind of had to work with was creating an inventory file. Um, okay. when I, when speaking with some of the devs, there's actually work going on to sort of make it a little bit more dynamic to create the inventory, right? Right now it's kind of either manual or maybe you write a script to, uh, maybe you keep your host inventory somewhere and it's sort of, you can build, an inventory file that's compatible with Suzy Q, but there's kind of yeah. work going down to sort of, uh, you know, something like a netbox or not a bot or something like that to generate your host file. But basically, sure. Getting long winded here. Um, Suzy Q has this, uh, this polar service, uh, the polar, yeah. uh, essentially you stand it up, you give it a inventory of you know, what mm-hmm. devices should I be checking? Right. And the polar, it just in, in, in a, in a sequence, I think it's every like 60 seconds by default. It'll just, okay. you know, connect to devices and just start gathering just tons of data, tons of data. Um, yeah. And, and, and I believe only if there's really changes, sort of the data will stay the same. If it sees a change, it'll sort of update those time slots of, you know, a change has been seen, right? Right. Um, but that's essentially always running. Um, 
This was a little tricky to get going. I, I will be honest, but it's more of a benefit to write this blog post just so the next person could have a, that much of an easier process to get it going. But uh, essentially, when you stand up the container, you sort of make a connection between um, uh, storage on the container and storage on the host machine. So it's essentially mm -hmm. writing files to both locations. Right. Then when you're using something like a, a Python script, you're, you build a, a Suzy Q config file, right? Where you point it to the data, like where is the data stored? What, where's the data that I can actually query and, and you know, run my Python scripts against? Uh, yeah. Similar to Batfish, except Batfish, it's like a, you could tell it a remote node, but Suzy Q, it almost like it has to be local. Um, okay. To the machine you're actually interacting with, right? There's not like okay. a remote connection thing going on. Okay. Once, once that happens, you can write, your, your post checks, which it's then just checking the data that Suzy Q has essentially pulled over time. Yeah. Um, now there's a thought process there of what if you run the pipeline and the Suzy Q polar hasn't sort of done its, its, its recheck after your change. That is sure. a valid point. I think it's a question I had. Uh, some things to get around that is you could sort of modify the times that Suzy Q can pull, right? Maybe you okay. lower that down to every 30 seconds, right? Besides the default 60 seconds. That's a mm -hmm. thought. Uh, maybe there's a pause in your pipeline run on the post checks. Maybe it waits. Um, I didn't see anything as a way where you can query um, Suzy Q as like, hey, have you rechecked the network essentially, right? I, I didn't see that, but maybe that's in there, right? I just I just don't know. Um, but th there's sort of a thought process of, you know, you should wait for it to actually query the new data or gather the new data. So then what you're actually querying or, or checking is is the valid new information for your network. Um, yeah, I think maybe they're they're kind of under the, um, I should say, the uh, ideology of eventual consistency. So it's just this continuous process that always gets run in the background. And yeah. Um, there's, yeah, it's true that there may be inconsistency uh, in between, but eventually they'll be consistent and, yeah. you know, and so on. And something that's, that's really cool is it, uh, even if you were doing your, your post checks and... Um, you know, they all, they're all green. They're all great. That's fine. Since the service is running, you could, and I, and I did an example, you can connect to the Suzy Q CLI, which is essentially just, you, know, you connect into the Docker container, you run you know, Suzy Q CLI, mm -hmm. then you have access to all of the data. It's just recently pulled and you can very quickly just start asking a bunch of networks. They've created a lot of commands uh, where you could essentially just, just start, you know, asking any question you want. Like, what are my devices? Are they alive? Right. Uh, what, right. What, routes, what routes do I have? You know, who owns a route? Like just, and it, it's up to your, what they've created and a little bit up to your imagination of like, what's important to you, right? What's important to me might be more, you know, something else might be more important to you in your environment. Yeah. It's, um, right. It, it's really fascinating. So I, I like Suzy Q in that you can use it in this pipeline, but you could also just jump into it just to check your network almost, you know, whenever you, whenever, whenever you want. Yeah. Yeah, you post in the the uh, example of a Suzy Q CLI where they just treat the the network as one entity, right? Like they don't yeah. care if it consists of two spines and four leaves or you know two yeah. devices. They just treat it as a whole entity, and um, it's almost like a like big switch network where they treat you know that you have a abstraction CLI that you do a show verb, but they say show verb all, then all mm. of the versions uh, comes back versus just one or two devices, which is really I, cool. I, I will say the the network I made for this was very simple, but I, I kind of wanted to get the idea of 
to show you how these tools work, I didn't really care about how the network looked. It could have been as basic as humanly possible. It didn't matter. Mm -hmm. But to counter argument, I could have made it a little bit more complex and kind of probably asked a little bit uh, more complex questions like, you know, equal cost multipath, you know, do I have multiple yeah. paths to this destination? Things like that. You know, the way I built right. it now, it's just, you know, A to Z, it's, it's one path all the way. So right. the questions I could ask were pretty limited. But again, I think I kind of got the idea across of like kind of what what is possible with this tool. No, absolutely. It's one of the most interesting part about uh, Suzy Q is you're able to leverage all of these and uh, at not very much cost to you, right? <laughs> you, you spin up a Docker container, you specify a few polar files, and and off you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I guess for me it was it was free, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and for anyone else, free, right? anyone else, free as in beer, I guess. And uh, you know you could, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. But but you you obviously spend your time and your energy and uh, your time to write this post to benefit the community. Right. Right. I mean, it was a learning experience for me too, right? I, I wanted to see if it, it was possible, right? Can I put these right. pieces together, right? The pieces to the puzzle, um, you, know, this, you know, then just, you know, show, giving that to the community or showing my learnings. I think that was like, that was also a factor in the back of my head. Like, you know, I want to get this out. Like that would be really awesome to show individuals like what's possible. Um, right. Yeah. So that was, right. yeah, it was really fun. I, I think you've achieved that, you know, so um I, I think we've covered all the major pieces and I don't think we miss anything. Um, is there anything you want to add? Maybe something that uh, you, you, you um, thought of after we talk? No, I mean, I, th I think I've kind of alluded to, you know, uh, I think the pieces I chose here, I had yeah. a really great time using them. I think they have really good documentation, but you know, if, if you're totally set on using something, you know, go ahead and use that. You know, if you don't want to use GitHub and you have a, self-contained GitLab or something like that, you know, go all in. That's great. That's, that's yeah. totally great. You know, feel free to use that. Cool. So, um, you know, it, it's great. I want to congratulate you again for writing the six part post and getting a lot of feedback, right. From what I could tell people yeah. really liked it. People really enjoyed it. Um, so what, what's, you know, just as a final thought after you roll all these, you publish, you never know who's going to read it, but uh, but apparently there's a lot of good feedback. So can you tell us, uh, you know, what, what are your final thoughts about this whole process? Was it worth it? And what did, what did it mean to you? Yeah. I think, I think the learning process was probably one of the most important. I mean, I learned a lot, a lot when, when doing something like this and that mm -hmm. sort of concept of, you know, teaching someone something, you sort of have to sort of re you're relearning it and, or putting it into words of, something that would make sense uh, to someone out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I did my, my best to try to make that happen. Um, you know, be easy on, on my English, you know, I'm sure there's a bunch of grammatical errors in there. You know? <laughs> I'm sure every, every writer, they see something and they're like, Oh my goodness, look at that. You know, but I didn't see any, um, but you know, but the, uh, yeah, the support I got from the community was absolutely incredible. Just, you know, the comments, the likes, you know, I, I see all of that and I, and I appreciate you guys. Cause you know, as a, someone just trying to contribute to the community yet you never know what's going to happen right folks yeah. might totally say it's terrible or um whatever right but everyone has been very supportive um in, in the whole process right so i really appreciate that and it kind of like helps you kind of keep going right because a lot of these posts you know that's just 
you know, me, myself, and I, it might be Eric just sitting in his office writing his book. You know, it's, <laughs> there's no one there, you know, telling no, me to keep going. It's a very lonely process, man. <laughs> you know, I might show my wife, like, oh my God, this is so awesome. Look what I just did. And she'll say, you know, she'll be like, ah, oh, it's so cool. You know? Yeah, she smiled politely <laughs> and then went about yeah, her business. <laughs> yeah. So just to, to get the interaction with the community, I think was really, really cool. Um, and, and I hope folks out there, they explore, they either build this or build their own and let me know, you know, send me a, send me a photo or something of your pipeline runs, you know, tag me. And if you have any questions, you know, feel free to reach out. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you know, Julio has been a pleasure. I, I really enjoy our conversation. I think it's the first time we talk, but we, it feels like we could continue this conversation on much longer, but, um, and I'm sure we will. Um, but thanks again for being on the show. Really appreciate it. And good job on the, uh, uh, on the, on the six part blog post. Do you want to tell people where they could find you on social media? Yes. Um, you can probably see my name there at Julio underscore PDX. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn too. Um, mostly active a lot uh, on Twitter. Um, but okay. yeah, thank you, Eric. Thank you for putting this together. Thank you for, you know, being a, a cool, cool member of the community. So keep going and, and I appreciate it. And just everyone out there. Yeah. Don't be, don't be afraid to try new things. You know, don't be afraid of failure. I failed a lot during this build, <laughs> a whole lot. And yeah, I try to show you some of it, but there's way more. There's a lot of failure in there. So. Oh, dude, you, you and I both, man. I, yeah, for sure. For sure. It's, it's just what, you know, people look at the final product, but the process is always messy and, and um, lots of interesting, uh, interesting trial and errors for sure. Yeah, definitely. No. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks again for, uh, for being on the show. And I want to thank you guys for listening to the Network Automation Nerds podcast today. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and all the other podcast platforms. Until next time, bye-bye. And thanks again, Julio. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.